Oh, me. Oh, my. Yeah, we're going to talk about, well, we're uh, Frank Edward Norris here, and I, and of course, uh, the legendary Frank Nora is on a trip to Italy at the very tail end. Uh, he's, oh, the shows he has brought us, some of his best travel shows yet, uh, right up there with the uh, Gene Shepherd shows of yore, as I mentioned on an appreciator this week. Yeah, we're doing some appreciator shows, uh, not t- t- a lot, uh, but we're, we're keeping, we're dabbling, dabbling along here on the Overnight Scape Underground. And this looks to be a rather distilled and short Overnight Scape Central. Frank uh, has sent a short entry, usually gives us about 40, a generous 40 minutes of material each and every week. And I think the length, in my head, I still believe, even though I don't think he has ever acknowledged it, he shoots, it seems, for 40 minutes, which is roughly the length, if you take the commercials out, of most of the Gene Shepard monologues on his shows. And uh, I, I like to think, or imagine at least, that that is what he is trying to do with the 40-minute length. Uh, I could be completely wrong, and it could just be a coincidence. It is also roughly the typical length of back in the day when uh, albums, record albums, came on vinyl. Uh, That was about the limit, and around the time we transitioned into other media, that had become more or less 40, 45 minutes, 22 minutes per side of a 33 RPM disc uh, was the, like I say, typical size uh, and length of a album. And that includes jazz albums. And yes, we are talking again about jazz. We did a few years ago. Let me check when. Yeah, sometime in 2015, it appears when I look back. Uh, that's that's a while. We we can approach jazz again, and this wasn't a holiday weekend. I guess the topic did not appeal. Uh, the participation in this show goes back and forth. Perhaps we do it too often. I'm not sure. I just wonder. You know, some days I absolutely wonder whether this concept in this show may have outlived its usefulness on the overnight scape underground. And yet, I soldier on. Uh, we might give it up again. I, I did do this right around 2015, 2016, and Jimbo jumped into the fore and took the show over when I was pod fading. And I'm not sure if I'm necessarily pod fading. I'm more... apt to do this spontaneously and here and there than maintain a schedule. And the Overnight Scape Central is the only program where I have even made pretensions of following a schedule. I always found the other shows I did uh, just like the appreciator. Some weeks I'm almost doing it all the time, and other weeks I hardly do it at all. And that is how my brain works, I suppose. I get lost in other things. Uh, I don't feel 
yeah, I don't feel inspired, so to speak, so I don't do it with this uh, because I guess I get contributions from other people. There is an inspiration, and it's certainly inspiring that in the middle of all of the tumult and chaos of a trip in Europe that Frank takes the time and effort makes me certainly want to do this week's show. And uh, we, uh, there will be instructions to participate next week. And, uh, well, as you may well imagine, I have some ideas for uh, another topic, but we'll get to that shortly. Right now, it's jazz. Now, my own experience with jazz, I try to think back to what exactly, in my mind, jazz is, uh, to some, it's like Grover Washington Jr. and that romantic saxophone music. And uh, to others, it's this chaotic, say, Ornette Coleman-like free jazz that it's almost like with Ornette Coleman, to me, is like as far out as jazz can get. Uh, some of Sun Ra, who is one of my favorite jazz artists, despite the fact that some of his material is so far out, I really cannot listen to it. He ran the gamut, so long as uh, let's take a moment and pay tribute to Sun Ra. He is on the Zappa list, which was mentioned on uh, our uh, Mark Rosenai's Zappa ongoing series that has sort of spontaneously erupted here on the Overnight Scape Underground. Uh, he was an inspiration to Zappa, and I can see why, because even in 1966, he was known for this strange Saturnian jazz. He more than proved his capacity in doing traditional, say, bop jazz. Yeah, bebop. Uh, I, bebop is a kind of jazz, uh, say, like Thelonious Monk, where the rhythm just kind of shifts a little and some of the notes will slur and not quite sound that clean, crisp, say, uh, big band jazz. And yeah, uh, probably as big as jazz ever was in our main popular culture, it would have to be uh, the big band era. And before that, there was a lot of jazz um a softer jazz, kind of a symphonic jazz, like maybe old cartoon music or the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, who were the great purveyors of that. And of course, things like George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which somehow, in its day, gave this music a legitimacy uh, I believe officially it was the first jazz played at the legendary Carnegie Hall. Is Carnegie Hall still even a thing? That was where, if you made it to Carnegie Hall in any way, shape, or form, you had really made it. That was the sign. It was this small, acoustically perfect club, not club, uh, auditorium. I mean, it's not huge. It doesn't hold a lot of people, but the shows there, all the greats, so to speak, at one time or another would play at Carnegie Hall, at least in my mind. 
and even Gene Shepard did a fabled show at Carnegie Hall once. Andy Kaufman, another hero in Overnight Scape Underground lore, who we really haven't mentioned in a long time, that whole Andy Kaufman still lives thing, which was a constant for many years here on the channel, seems to have finally faded down. But Andy Kaufman even did a show at Carnegie Hall. But I don't think Sun Ra ever did a show at Carnegie Hall. I would have to double check, but uh, I'm pretty sure he did not do any such thing. And, and, and am I just rambling here off the top of my head or what? But the Rhapsody in Blue that oh that every time i hear it that just sends me and and it reminds me of driving uh, i used to go into new york city and visit my friend mitch aka billy bob back in the 80s and I hear the Rhapsody in Blue, and I remember a night having gone to the Carnegie Deli and gotten those delicious sandwiches they used to got, get, make with corned beef and pastrami and brisket and the sandwich so big you have to take it apart to eat it because no human mouth could actually, well, not our human mouths, with the sandwiches on our laps driving the streets of New York City at one in the morning with the Rhapsody in Blue just blaring through the speakers of his car stereo, the sights, the lights, the darkness of the New York City night, which never really gets dark because of all the lights, but there is a magic to a Manhattan night, and to me that's some of the magicest times in my memories of the 80s, uh, just feeling the city. Uh, there was something about Manhattan that called me and was so important to me at that time in my life. It was a magical city. No matter what time of day or night, one in the morning, you could still get the most fabulous food and those sandwiches from the Carnegie Deli. Oh, man and the jazz. Oh, yes. And they say uh, there is a little argument as to where jazz comes from. Some say William Christopher Handy, who recorded the St. Louis Blues, was the originator. Some take it back to Ragtime and Scott Joplin. Although the purists say that isn't quite exactly jazz, it is on the way. And then, of course, there was the man who absolutely 100% claimed he invented jazz, the amazing Jelly Roll Morton, a man of an incredible ego who came up playing ragtime piano in cat houses, the poor houses of New Orleans and the South. And late at night, well, actually, probably early in the morning, after things got quieted down, all of these players who would play all night ragtime music because there weren't really records or music at these places to, I suppose, create an atmosphere 
and drown out the sounds of the patrons and the ladies of the night in these uh, shack-like buildings. Uh, at least I imagine, I'm sure some of them were rather substantial buildings, but it created an atmosphere. And after everybody had quieted down, they would meet at clubs and have these incredible contests to see who could play the most complicated, super ragtime piano. And uh, Jelly Roll Morton had a piece called his Finger Buster, which legend has it was the ultimate piece that would make it so he would win these great contests back in the day. Ah, yes, Jelly Roll Morton. And he had that voice. I'm sure it was part affect and part really his voice, but let me see if I can find a small example. When I was down on the Gulf Coast in 1904, I must go into the St. Louis Exposition to get in the piano contest, which was won by Alfred Wilson of New Orleans. I was very much disgusted because I thought I should have gone. I thought Tony Jackson was going to be there, and of course that kind of frightened me. But I knew I could have taken uh, Albert Wilson. So then I decided that I would uh, travel about different little spots. Sorry about my clumsy recording quality there, but yeah, that was just such an awesome... that He did some recordings for Alan Lomax and the Library of Congress, which is remarkable. He, day after day, showed up in the studio, played the piano, all of his great pieces, and he was already a much older man and not at the top of his game, but just his technique and the way he played, it, it still gets to me. There is a magic to his playing, and I like to think that he was right that he did sort of invent jazz. But of course, I don't think anybody really invented it. It just kind of grew, a sound that grew out of pianos and the American South. And if you uh, listen to that great PBS special that Marsalis did back in, what, the 80s, early 90s, uh, there was that big sound, that trumpet, that coronet of a man named Buddy Bolden, which is said to have made and popularized jazz and inspired maybe the greatest name in early jazz, Louis Armstrong, who came out of the late 1910s and lasted until the late 70s, early 80s. And he really was a father of jazz. But today when people think of jazz, I don't know, they think of like, you know, that uh, frenetic kind of, uh, I guess it's sort of bebop. Uh, and I don't know, modern jazz, I can't say that I'm familiar with any of the uh, purveyors, nor have followed it. To me, well, my whole idea of music I just, you know, you'll reach a certain age. And yeah, I've become this like locked in my music. 
and these kids today and what they do. Well, that's very nice, but I don't know. And um, jazz, I have, of course, Zappa was a big jazz, pushed me into progressive jazz. That great summer of Zappa, where I bought and caught up with many Zappa albums, I would say that was the summer of 1975, when I uh, worked in the arcade, and there was a t-shirt shop and kind of hippie head shop called the International Bippy Shop. And my friends who ran it, I became friendly with the guys because I was always hanging out there because they were always playing great music there. And they kind of humored me. And they weren't much older than me, but they were like, that. to me, I would just sit and listen to their stories and their music. And uh, they introduced me to fusion jazz, which was very big then. I mean, it was started by people like Miles Davis, but I kind of, at the time, got into Chick Corea and his band Return to Forever and music like that. And to this day, I have a soft spot for it, even though I've come to see that as a little commercial and a little calculated for uh, what I really love. I mean, these days, I suppose I see music like Sun Ra and Thelonious Monk and the really old stuff still, that sound of that old jazz. Even though it's kind of stentorian by modern standards, it, it just, that cartoon music jazz just gets me right here. Um, jazz. Anyhow. I'm sure I will ramble more, but uh, I am curious to see what Frank Edward Norris said. And I'm really, <laughs> if there ever was some driveline with me delivering it, that was it. So, uh, yeah, let's hand it over to Frank Edward Nora. It's morning time here in Innsbruck, Austria. Sitting out here on the balcony of the Stage 12 Hotel looking up at the mountains in the morning light to the left. Gray, craggy mountains in the stark sunlight, and then to the right, mountains in the haze. Jazz. I think the first jazz album that I really got into was... Um, from Mahavishnu Orchestra. I think the very first one was uh, Visions of the Emerald Beyond with that song that goes Oh Lord Supreme Supreme Let me fulfill Thy will. You know that one? And then shortly thereafter because I got these out of the uh, county library I discovered Birds of Fire which of course is uh, perhaps superior to Visions of the Emerald Beyond as it was the original lineup of Mahavishnu Orchestra with John McLaughlin and all the rest. I think Jean-Luc Ponty was in there as well, right? Maybe. <laughs> uh, the uh, jazz rock fusion genre that's uh, part of the mosaic of progressive rock has been uh, one of my favorite forms of jazz. In fact, even recently I've been um, still trying to get into Soft Machine, the Canterbury scene band from... Uh, 
the early 70s that is very jazz based as well not the easiest band to get into but I've been trying to get into them and so much great jazz rock fusion one of the best of course is Miles Davis's uh, Agarta now I would say that I have not been hugely into Miles Davis uh, but Agarta really stands alone as a which I think is 75 maybe um, as a uh, an utterly jaw-dropping work of music it was basically a uh, one day in Japan, the end of a tour, Miles Davis put on two shows. Uh, Agarta is the release of one of them, and I believe it's called Pangea is the release of the other show that day. And after that, he uh, stopped performing for a long time due to health issues. But uh, they had said he had kind of uh, reached the final conclusion of the musical uh, exploration he had been going on for quite some time. There really is nothing else like it. Ooh, airplane. Can't quite see it from this angle. But yeah, check out Agarta, you know. Which I think is, isn't that one of those, like, hollow earth cities or the hollow earth in some traditions? But that's a great one, too. Another band, I don't know if it's quite in, it's probably more jazz, but I know it's sort of related to post-rock, I guess. I don't know, is Medeski Martin and Wood. They have a bunch of great albums, including End of the World Party, just in case. I do like Medeski Martin and Wood. They're sort of in the jam band scene, too. It's hard to sort of pin down Medeski Martin and Wood, what they're really a part of. And post-rock, I don't know if you would consider it jazz, but I certainly think there's aspects of jazz in there and of course my favorite post-rocked album and one of the best albums ever made is by the band Tortoise, their album TNT that's I think from 99 or around there um, again not sure you'd call that jazz it's, it's called post-rock but it sounds a lot like jazz um, going way back Again, I don't know if it's jazz yet, but I'm a huge fan of ragtime piano music and uh, Scott Joplin, of course. All of his works, I think, were precursors to jazz. I don't think it's... I'm not sure exactly where the definition lies. And there's a bunch of other composers as well. You know, there was a Joseph Lamb and some other ones back then, but Joplin, of course, is the giant of the genre, and all of his works really hold up. Interesting, as I recall, the uh, ragtime had kind of fallen into disfavor, and uh, finally, the release of the movie *The Sting* with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, maybe, um, uh, reintroduced uh, Joplin's uh, compositions to a whole new generation. And I think there was a resurgence in the, in the ragtime appreciation at that point. Now, when you get to the swing era of jazz, uh, I have been really listening to a lot of uh, Benny Goodman especially. I really do love Benny Goodman and that style of music. Um, when I had Sirius XM, the trial of satellite radio, whenever you get a new car you get a new trial, 
I got so tired of all the other channels because their set list, they played about 20 songs and then they repeated them, and it was maddening. So I took refuge in 40s Junction, which did play a lot of swing jazz. But, yeah, that... Benny Goodman especially, uh, incredible stuff. I've also been into Artie Shaw. You know, earlier, much when I was much younger, I had uh, the uh, Glenn Miller's uh, Digital Gold CD with a lot of the, you know, he also swing era jazz. Love that stuff. There's so many different aspects of jazz. I think the one aspect of jazz that I have has yet eluded me is the uh, bebop era, I guess. Is that like uh, Charlie Parker? Uh, that, right? I, I'm sure I could get into it eventually, but that I have not yet gotten into. Look, it's a weird little Austrian spider. Kind of brown and white stripes. Crawling on this glass table. <laughs> Very jazzy. Um, yeah, uh, another jazz genre that I really do love is what they call smooth jazz. Right? And I know that's a rather maligned aspect of jazz, but um, I really do enjoy it. I think I really came to love it when uh, that rare time in the 1980s and 90s when the Weather Channel was something worth watching and your local forecast just with those video graphics uh, showing the weather conditions in your area and they would play that smooth jazz I, I guess you call it smooth jazz what's the other word for it? I'm not sure but um But it's some great stuff I love listening to, especially, uh, well, one of my favorite albums of the genre is uh, Russ Freeman's Nocturnal Playground, I believe it's called. It was the one album by Russ Freeman before he uh, started recording under the name The Rippingtons, featuring Russ Freeman. And uh, Nocturnal Play Playground, of which a few songs they did play on the Weather Channel, definitely. Um, just great stuff. Great music. Um, perhaps a a genre that is uh, unjustly maligned. And then, of course, I do like a lot of the Rippingtons albums and, uh, what was that, Yellow Jackets, like their first their first album. I'm not sure. <laughs> really good example of the genre. <coughs> Another band, Special FX, you know, Special EFX. I do like a lot of them. Um, would you call it a guilty pleasure? I'm not guilty, damn it. I like it. I like smooth jazz. And I do think a lot of elements of jazz uh, are present in the jam band genre. You know, I know the Grateful Dead had their jazzy side. Um, I think they say '76 Dead, which is isn't that one of those weird years where they didn't tour too much? Is like a especially jazzy time. And um, Fish also definitely has jazz elements in their music. They even cover a jazz song called Manteca, M-A-N-T-E-C-A adding lyrics crab in my shoe mouth crab in my crab in my crab in my shoe mouth and I think I did have the album Dave Brubeck Take 5 which is sort of more associated with the beat generation right do 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 how does it go <laughs> I don't know 
I'm not sure where that figures into the whole realm of jazz, but yeah, the beat generation with you think about the jazz with the uh, bongo players, you know, playing bongos and reciting poetry and wearing berets and stuff. Yeah, there was a great box set of called the I think it was called the Beat Generation. I've been I know I have a copy of it somewhere. I need to find it digitally. I I think I got rid of my physical copy. <clears throat> a lot of jazz stuff on there. Uh, Ken Nordine, he 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 created a subgenre called word jazz. He would do like a voice voiceover stuff, you know, like reciting things. But yeah, I gotta listen to that Beat Generation box set again. I gotta find it, the files. It was originally I had it in the the big you know it was like a CD box set in a in a box with like three CDs I think. Yet another aspect of jazz. I don't know where jazz is currently. Uh, like, is there new genres of jazz? I'm trying to think. Uh, um, was there like acid jazz or something? I don't know. Yeah, there was like a label that did. It was like dance music, but it was jazz based. I forget exactly what it's called. But that's also pretty old. I don't know if there's anything new in the world of jazz these days. Something that comes to mind is the uh, and the Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know, because Pee Wee Herman passed away recently. Well, Pee Wee Herman is a character; he can't pass away. But uh, Paul Rubens, who played him, can die. He did die. But on the Playhouse, they had those uh, like a beatnik trio, jazz trio, right? Like a chick and some other, like a dog, or I forget exactly how that worked. That was jazz-based. And let's not forget the, the jazz drive. J-A-Z. Those of us that lived through those eras remember all the storage formats that are now very obsolete. But one of the big ones from iOmega, whatever happened to iOmega, was the zip drive. It was like a supercharged floppy disk. Whereas your old three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk could store 1.4 megabytes. The zip drive could store 100 megabytes, or thereabouts. And then the jazz drive could store one gigabyte, right? Or a thousand megabytes. That lasted a little while. I used to use jazz drives, I think, at work for a while, at least. A lot of bells here in Europe. Kind of jazzy. 7.55 a.m. I'm not sure what that signifies. Like, the bells for it's almost 8 a.m. A.K.A. 2 a.m. back home. <laughs> Jet lag.
Anyway, uh, I'm just looking on uh, Prague archives here, and the top, the top jazz rock fusion albums, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. I'm not sure if that's more fusion or just regular jazz, but uh, since he did have jazz rock fusion albums, they added his entire discography here. But other than that, it's the aforementioned Birds of Fire by Mahavishnu Orchestra. And next up we have uh, Romantic Warrior by Return to Forever. That's that guy. What's his name? He died recently, uh, and he was a Scientologist. Uh, what's his name? I guess I can click on it to find his name. It's slipping. Chick Korea. There you go. The Intermounting Flame by Mahavishnu Orchestra. Another another one by Miles Davis. Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. A few other ones. Al Dimiola, Billy Cobham. And then, of course, Enigmatic Ocean by Jean-Luc Ponty. I love Jean-Luc Ponty. And a few other ones more obscure. Santana. I never got into Santana for some reason. And, of course, Herbie Hancock. Yes, that's that's the one that I sort of forgot to mention. You know, I, I became aware of Herbie Hancock through the 80s video Rocket. You know, with all the scratching and the vinyl and stuff. Right. But he has definitely has some great stuff. I was listening to his much maligned Monster album where he tried to do disco <laughs> in the past couple months. Yeah, but he has some good stuff. Like, uh, yeah, I would just mention on the Overnight Skip the other day, uh, uh, Watermelon Man, the song from uh, his album um, Headhunters. Uh oh. There's some people walking out on the roof over here. They can see me, I can see them. I'm wearing my, uh, you know, the clothes I sleep in. What are they doing out there? One, two, three, four, five, six, eight people going out on the roof. <coughs> are they going to do yoga or something or calisthenics perhaps? I don't know. Anyways, just a few thoughts on jazz. Back to you, PQ. Oh, man. Thanks so much, Frank. I can almost tell that Denise is probably still sleeping or trying to sleep uh, somewhere nearby. And Frank speaking in a hushed tone. And then there are all these bells anyways, which I don't know. I guess Europeans get used to sleeping through them or something. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. A world with bells sounds kind of wonderful and kind of like it might interrupt sleep at the same time. But I've, I've got some notes here. Uh, yeah, uh, for our age, Frank and I, he's a little younger than me. There was that fusion jazz that really, I think, as far as what was on records and contemporary at that time, that was the thing. I mean, Mahavishnu Orchestra, which had this great frenetic guitar jazz. And people like, yeah, John Ponty, who was also a Frank Zappa alumnus. He played on a couple of Zappa albums, although uh, the story goes, and I'm sure eventually when we get to it, Mark Rose and I will discuss the clashes of egos that uh, sometimes happened between Frank and some more um, well-formed musicians that he got to play with. I mean, when they were aspiring guys, people like Steve Vai, it was different. And I don't know, 
Zappa definitely had a lot of jazz elements, especially as he went along of the Hot Rats era. But even before that, in Lumpy Gravy, which we will be talking about on our next get-together, there are a lot of jazz elements. But uh, yeah, Hot Rats, the purists and uh, the Zappaologists probably cite as where he really embraced jazz, and that could be called fusion jazz. Um, And then artists like, say, Jeff Beck, who was a rock and roller, pretty much straight through an original Yardbirds guy in that era, made several really great fusion albums, Blow by Blow and Wired. And for a while, he was playing with uh, fusion jazz keyboard player Ian Hammer. So all that was happening. And uh, as I mentioned, my Uncle Jay, uh, who died when I was very young, I inherited a bunch of his records, and he's really responsible for a lot of my musical tastes growing out of what he... I mean, he turned me on to Pink Floyd and King Crimson and the Moody Blues. And King Crimson, at certain points, had a jazz sort of feel. The Circus album, especially, had a sort of uh, progressive rock and jazz fusion thing going on with a lot of horns and he had his reed players and the drummers always sort of were more jazz feel than your straight rock and roll feel and uh, by uncle jay when he passed i inherited a bunch of his records so i had my first Thelonious monk records and i remember Thelonious monk plays duke ellington was just so somehow key because there were these familiar Duke Ellington melodies that I had heard places in movies, on the radio, without even really knowing Duke Ellington or that it was, and that kind of codified things for me. And Thelonious Monk's versions of these Duke Ellington songs had that, what I, what I mentioned before, that bebop thing where they would skip a beat. And then there was a Dizzy Gillespie concert that was shown on PBS that really excited me in the day. And uh, I really, Dizzy Gillespie was just an incredible bop horn player. And he was famous, of course. He had played the trumpet so much that his cheeks could puff out like some sort of squirrel or a really remarkable sight, if nothing else. And yeah, Miles Davis. And then I got into people like Charlie Mingus. And of course, from there, got into the great Reed bass clarinet player, saxophone player, Eric Dolphy. And then there were a couple Coltrane records. And of course, yes, that Herbie Hancock Headhunters album uh, with uh, Watermelon Man and all that. that. Those were like what I was weaned on into jazz, I think. And yeah, The Sting. Frank mentioned uh, the second Redford, Paul Newman. There was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and then there was The Sting. And yeah, that really brought ragtime, that primordial jazz sound, and that precise stride piano that became jazz. I think stride piano is what it was called that developed 
out of ragtime, that strong left hand with the right hand doing figures. It just a wonderful sound, if nothing else. And yeah, big band music, which I appreciate. I remember there was a, a combo that even had a TV show back in the 70s called The Manhattan Transfer. And I bought their albums and I was really into them. But th it's all that big band just to from today's point of view with me is a little slick and not, I don't know, and brassy or something. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, given my preference, I like to take it back just a little before that into the 30s, more symphonic, sleepy, Fats Waller-y. Yeah, Fats Waller. There's another, I mean, if we're stepping just that piano sound, that stride piano became Fats Waller's style, still having that strong left-hand figure for the bass notes and wonderful improvisations uh, with the right hand. And yes, it's the improvisation, I think, that made jazz jazz, whereas ragtime was very... It was written down and you played the music. When they started improvising over that, people like Jelly Roll Morton, that quite possibly may be the magic element. And then you had your horn players like Louis Armstrong playing these amazing trumpet figures over the top of that. And then the reeds came in. Uh, but first, it was definitely the coronet that started that. And the saxophone kind of slipped in through the back door to people like, you know, John Coltrane and Eric Dolphy, the aforementioned. Um, and, and then you had people like early Tom Waits, who was sort of a Jelly Roll Morton storyteller, piano player with an affected voice and character in his own right. And I think he got a lot of that. And, and even... To a great degree for me, Leon Redmone, whose appearances on the very early episodes of Saturday Night Live. And yes, he was more like traditional music as well, but he had a certain New Orleans jazzy feel to a lot of his stuff, uh, along with his Jimmy Rogers country music. And Jimmy Rogers himself, even though he is the father of country music, used Louis Armstrong on one of his records, and that is famous for one of the first, if not the first, commercial recording where white and black musicians played together, although at the time, of course, uh, Louis Armstrong remained uncredited, and it took many years for that to be discovered and revealed. Because, yes, it was a time when even Duke Ellington, whose music today sounds so smooth and elegant and just very even when it gets wild and raucous it has this calm smooth sound and back in the 20s that was very daring jungle music and white patrons would go up to harlem to hear this this raucous noise it's really amazing what we incorporate but i guess for a long time, John Philip Sousa's marches were considered that wild music of youth in some strange way. But yet, yeah, that and the improvisation, 
as Frank mentioned, this is uh, what brings bands like the stuff he's listening to, Grateful Dead, Fish, that improvisation as opposed to playing written music as written and riffing and coming up with your own ideas and bouncing phrases back and forth with other musicians. Yeah, that's the heart of what became jazz and what continues that is a jazz influence. Even in popular music, I mean, the solo that you hear on most music, that instrumental verse where somebody is playing an instrument and they're not just playing the melody of the song, but playing with it. That's jazzing it up, so to speak. And uh, yeah, that's that's jazz, at least for our intents and purposes here tonight. And thank you, Frank. And uh, well, we're going to have an uh, Overnight Scape Central next week. So if you had any additional thoughts on jazz or just wanted to throw your two cents and comment on anything that's been said here, by all means, listen. We'll have that email address. And uh, next week, yeah, this is it. Um, the question is, for the topic for next week's Overnight Scape Central, is the Central outmoded? Has this format and this program kind of outlived its time? Because now we have, you know, our once-a-month get-together uh, with Frank, the exit ramp. Um, we have our own shows. It's a lot easier to do your own shows. We can comment on places like Facebook, which uh, when we first started was just in its, if anything, primordial days in 2010. Was there a Facebook really in 2010? Uh, now we can comment and do these things in text. And it's just, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think maybe that we have done what we needed to with this show. And I could continue just uh, including anybody. I mean, on the appreciator now, anybody sends me something, a segment, a comment in audio, I am more than happy to include it or work with it in the context of that. And maybe I can incorporate all this into the appreciator and the big appreciation showcase and the exit ramps and the such things. And we don't need the Overnight Scape Central anymore. Well, that's the question and the basic topic that I would like to hear from you about next week. And uh, maybe there will be some consensus that, yes, we should still continue the Central. And if I, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I feel like it's sort of fading, and we're all finding other modes of expression and uses for our time here in 2023. And things have changed a lot on the internet since 2010. Things have changed a lot on the internet since 2017. Uh, and I've been doing the show again for, what, five years since Jimbo passed? And I really was, like, at least temporarily pod-fading, ready to just do a few shows here and there on the overnight scape underground, more as a leisure thing. And maybe it's time to try that again, like I say. Uh, is the Central outmoded? 
And of course, how it works is you have until next Monday, September 18th, 2023. Get me a file by, uh, oh, I don't know, sometime in the evening hours, uh, Mountain Time USA, and your contribution will be included. The email address remains and always is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And you don't have to record something. If you write something up in an email and you just tell me which parts I can read, I will be more than glad to include your comments, especially on this upcoming show, because like I say, I am really starting to think that while this is an entertaining and fine internet broadcast that stands up with any out there, uh, we've all our core people who have participated are off on other projects, have gotten older, have families, have other pursuits, and it is. It's difficult to record something nowadays, uh, unless you're a crazy guy who lives by himself anyways, like me. So there is that. The email address, once again, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And again, really curious to know what you think. Let me know, and uh, we will catch you the next time. And until then, set the controls for the heart of the fun.